God, we thank you so much that you are a good father. It's what your word says to us. It's what our lives show. I pray that you would work in every one of our hearts today, that we'd be able to see you that way. And as we sang just a moment ago, that we would be able to acknowledge that when you look at us through Christ, that you're pleased. It brings you joy. I pray that each one of us would come to you today, right where we are with our brokenness, the difficulties we bring, the issues we face in life. And God, I pray today that you would show us your love and your grace, Jesus. May it sink deep in our hearts that it won't be just a moment we had at church, but it would last all week, the rest of our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. That'd be awesome if you would do that. While you're being seated, just go ahead and grab your Bible, if you would, and you can open it to Matthew 11, and also grab your message notes out of your program because you're going to need those as we go through our time together today. And if you see at the top of your message notes, they look like this, that you'll see that we're in a series called Flow, Living in the Current of Grace. And we're talking about this idea that uh, as we receive grace, that God wants us to give grace, and he wants us to learn to live in the current of grace. And if we can learn to live in the current of grace, then we're going to be able to live the life that he desires for us, and then the life that we desire to walk as well, and to live and to be able to have the joy that we desire that comes from him. He wants everybody to know grace. So right there at the top of your notes, from Hebrews 12, it says this. The writer of Hebrews says, See to it that no one fails to obtain, or another translation, we said this several times in this series, says this, the grace of God. Misses out on the grace of God. See to it that no one misses out. That would be any of us, any of us outside of these walls, that no one would miss out on living in the current of grace. We want to flow together in God's amazing grace. We all want to walk in grace. We want to stand in grace. We want to flow in grace. And yet our experience, just be honest, our experience oftentimes is a life that's different than what we think a life in grace would be like. See, we're told that grace is unearned, right? We're told that grace is unearned or unconditional favor from God. And what many people find themselves doing is they live in a way where their acceptance or their view of being accepted by others or by a church or by religion in some way, they view themselves and their acceptance is based more on what they do to earn favor, right? Earn favor, whether it's from God or whether it's from family or whether it's from friends or from others or established organizations like a church. And what happens is when we get into this cycle, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, that leads to fatigue, it leads to burnout, it leads to discouragement, it leads to defeat, and eventually for some, it leads to dropout. They just move away. Just move away from organized religion or from the church and say, that didn't work because it was just all about the rules and I can't keep all the rules. So that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about living in a way that prevents us from moving into burnout as we look at what we're going to call the cycle of grace. So I'm going to begin by reading again Jesus' words from Matthew 11. Mark read from the NLT translation. I'm going to read from the message paraphrase. That's what will be on your notes right there. And these are the words of Jesus. He's looking around, 
scanning the horizon of the world in which he lives. He's been with these people. He understands, and he's looking at them who feel the same sense of frustration and burden that many of us may feel today as well. And this is what he says. These are his words to you today. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. You might underline that. Recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company to me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. I want that. Anybody else want that? Anybody else relate to the first part? Tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Sure, many of us might be able to relate that. Now, in the context, Jesus is talking, he's actually talking to people who had heavy burdens put on them by the religious establishment of his day. Some of you may, you may struggle with some of the th same things that the people of Jesus' day struggled with. You're drowning in the expectations of religion, of church, either put on you by a church or by people who claim to love and know Jesus, and they tell you that if you are a good, let's just use the words, if you're a good Christian, you will do these things, right? Everybody heard that? Everybody heard that, heard that message in your head? If I'm a good Christian, then I will do these things. It seems to be all that, I'll be honest, it seems to be all that a church and the church seems to care about is whether you do what they say and whether you keep the rules. And if that's you... And if you ever feel that about our church, if that's the message we have here, I just want to tell you, I'm really sorry. It would never be in my intent. Now, I'm imperfect, and I'm broken, and I'm still in progress of being redeemed fully by grace. So sometimes what comes out may not be exactly what I intend. So I just want you to know, if you've ever felt that, I'm sorry. And I just ask you to forgive me. And forgive our church in any way that you've ever felt like in this church that it was about what you did that made you acceptable. Because that's not our message, and that's not the message of grace. So when Jesus was saying these words, he's actually referring to an Old Testament passage from Jeremiah chapter 6. And so Jesus knew his Bible well, and so he would always weave the Old Testament into his words, which we now have as the New Testament. Jeremiah 6, 16 says this. This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. So maybe that's where you are today, where we are. Stop at the crossroads and look around. You know, the idea is if I don't look around, I'm going to get hit by traffic, right? Or I'm going to take the wrong road, the road that's not intended. Ask for the old godly way. Don't you just love that? Oh, ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path, and here it goes, and you will find rest for your souls. But here's what God's people said to this choice at this time in the life of the nation of Israel. No, that's not the road we want. And they chose to walk a different way than God was inviting them to, to a way of rest. And so God's saying to us today, he says, hey, you can be at a crossroads. And so what I want you to do today is to stop and take a look. Is this the way you want to live? Is this the way you want to continue? 
If you were to look at your joy level, you would look at your contentment level, you would look at your fatigue level, you would look at your burnout level, and you would say, which is higher? You're, maybe you're just going back and forth, but is this the way you want to live? Or do you want to live with more in the rest, joy, contentment level instead of the fatigue and the burnout level? And he says this, would you be willing? Would you be willing to choose my way of living? Would you be willing to choose my way of life? Would you be willing to listen and follow me? Listen and follow me. If you do, you will find rest for your souls. So here's my prayer. It's my prayer that the next two weeks, because I divided this message into two weeks, because I couldn't get it all into one week, and I'm not even sure I can get it all into, I'm going to do in this week and this week, so we'll see how that goes. But it's my prayer is that over these next two weeks that it will bring us to the hope, it will bring us to the understanding of how we can live a better life. A better life with God, a better life with ourselves, a better life with each other, a better life with the church, a better life with those outside the church in our everyday lives. Because the cycle of grace that we're going to talk about today is one of those treasures that when you unpack it and you want to say, I'm going to choose it, I'm going to own it, it's one of those treasures that keeps giving and giving and giving all through the rest of your life. So I'm just going to set the whole cycle up. Okay, as we talk about the cycle of grace. In the 1950s, there was a missionary agency called the London Mission Society. Now, it was based in the UK, obviously, called the London Mission Society. And from there, what they would do is they would send missionaries to India. And over time, it became clear that these missionaries, as they would go to India, and they would leave on the ship outside of the UK to go there, that it would be, they would be so excited. They would be invigorated. They'd be passionate about the mission that they were called to. And then what would happen to them is that they would get on the field, they would get on site. Within a few months or a couple of years, there was a significant loss in vision, mission, and passion. A significant loss. And these missionaries would often come home, come back to England, tired, burned out, angry, and resentful. So Frank Lake, who was a psychiatrist and a follower of Jesus Christ, he was concerned about the pattern that he was seeing. Missionaries going away, full of zeal, coming home, angry, and then disconnecting with even God, from God and the church. And so he decided he would go to India. And he would try to figure out what was going on. Well, why in, well, in India, he met a Swiss theologian named Emil Brunner. These two got together, and they shared their concerns about what was going on in the lives of these missionaries. And as they were talking, they were sitting around having, I'm sure, espresso like me, maybe just coffee. And they asked themselves if there was ever a time that the Bible, ever a time that the Bible record indicates that Jesus seemed to be burned out or stressed or worried or too busy to do what he'd been called to do. Is there ever a time? So they went through the Bible. They read through the gospel, especially the gospel of John. Is there ever a time? And they agreed as, as they studied together and they read the story of Jesus Christ that the answer was no. The answer was a definitive no. They saw that Jesus was someone who had incredible demands upon his life. Uh, unbelievable demands upon his life placed upon him. People were asking from, for stuff. For stuff from Jesus all the time. They wanted more and more from him. He faced more enormous stresses. He faced difficulties. He faced pain. And yet he never seemed to lose his joy. Never seemed to lose his joy. He never seemed to get burned out. He never seemed to be unloving in his encounters with people. So they dug into these accounts of Jesus' life to see if there was any pattern 
or a rule of life that they could learn about Jesus, who was able to live in such a fulfilled and satisfying and joyful way. And as they studied Jesus' life, they realized that Jesus lived in a cycle or a rhythm where grace was constantly flowing into him, grace was constantly flowing in, and that grace was constantly flowing out. A rhythm of grace flowing in and a rhythm with grace flowing out, that's how he lived. So they ended up calling this the dynamics of grace, the dynamics of grace. It was changed to be called the cycle of grace, and I have a book here, The Cycle of Grace by Trevor Hudson, and so he took their learnings and their teachings, and he established this, this plan, this thought, this way to live life in the cycle of grace. It's, just, it's a great tool. This is more like a workbook. Uh, it also guides you through some, gives you some directions to some YouTube videos you can watch and hear the, uh, him teach about these things that we're going to talk about over the next two weeks in the series. So if you want to pick this up, it's really kind of hard to get. I think we have two copies in our, lot, in our bookstore. Uh, and so you can you know, go online, you can figure out how to get it in the used bookstore way uh, and other ways if you wanted to get a copy of this yourself. Well, this book has helped me tremendously. It's helped me to understand uh, the, what the cycle of grace is and then how to apply it to my life. And I'm praying that I will even go deeper in my understanding in this series uh, in the next two weeks and that you might discover it and you would choose this as your path of life. So why don't you look on the backside of your notes, okay? Just turn to the backside for a moment. So here's the cycle of grace, as it was described by Lake and Bruner and then Trevor Hudson as well. So the cycle of grace begins with acceptance. And so they realized that Jesus had an unwavering sense of acceptance. And because he was accepted, that sustained his soul. That gave him strength. That, that invigorated him. And he was then sustained by spiritual practices and as he was engaging in spiritual practice, he's accepted, he's sustained, that that led him then to living a life of significance. So what it means is significance means sign. So Jesus was a sign. And so he was a sign. You could look at him, and he was showing them how you could live a life that was full of peace and full of love and full of God. And then as he's living a life of significance, then he would live, he would have achievement. And so uh, a better word, and I think that is used by Trevor Hudson, is a better word for achievement would be fruitfulness. So then he lived a life of fruitfulness. So that's the cycle of grace. Now, before we talk about it, I want you to turn back over in the front side of your notes now, and I want to talk, talk about the opposite. It's called the cycle of works. So that was the cycle of grace. Here's the cycle of works, and this is where many of us live, and that's why we want to take just a few moments to look at this. This is the opposite or the antithesis of the cycle of works, of grace. And the cycle of works, if I enter into this cycle, it's going to rob me of joy and fulfillment. And the reason that so many people don't live the abundant life that Jesus uh, talks and calls us to, the life that Jesus lived as human beings, is that we flip the cycle when we run the cycle of grace. We flip it around and we live it this way in the cycle of works. The cycle of works starts with this misguided thought. I am what I achieve. I am what I achieve. So I need to work to gain. The goal would be acceptance. So I need to work in order to gain acceptance. My approval is based upon what I do. My approval is based upon my performance. So what I do is I begin working hard. And because I'm working hard, other people take notice. And because they notice all the things I'm able to accomplish, I have a level of significance. 
level of significance because I'm accomplishing things that other people aren't because I'm full board and to say, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to do all this work to make it happen myself. And when I have that sense of significance, that sense of significance gives me energy. And I believe in myself. I believe in myself that I can sustain this. That I can just keep working harder and harder and harder, and I'm going to be able to sustain this because I like significance. I like other people looking at me and patting me on the back, and I believe I can sustain it. And then what's going to happen is I'm finally going to feel the acceptance I've longed for all my life. Anybody see the deception in this? Anybody see the deception there? See, the problem is that this is a false acceptance based upon a life-crushing, joy-sucking myth that I am what I do, that I am what I do. I'm only acceptable as I continue to achieve. Does anybody relate to this? Anybody? Just relate to this. This is, this is where we live, people. We're driven. We're driven by social media. We're driven by the media. We're driven by our own in internal instincts. We're driven by organizations like this that says if you will just achieve, if you'll do these things, then you're going to have significance, then you're going to be able to sustain that. You're going to have this acceptance you always wanted, and you're going to find out that it's empty and that it's a lie, and then you're going to end up with fatigue and burnout and dropout. And you'll say Christianity or whatever it is you're trying for is a sham, and it doesn't work. So now what I want to do is I want to encourage us not to live in the cycle of works because the cycle of works is toxic to our souls, toxic to our souls, toxic to our well-being, toxic to our relationship with God and others, toxic to our marriages, toxic in our relationship to family, and it leads to a very driven and destructive environment, and it's a cycle that leads to despair and brokenness and addiction. And I'm not talking just alcohol, I'm not talking about drugs here, I'm talking about addictions to work, I'm talking about addictions to applause, addictions to all kinds of ways that we can get caught up in this cycle of work. Now, turn your nose back over, and let's talk about the good stuff. Let's talk about the cycle of grace. But I'm going to change it on my screen. This is different than you have on your notes now. And so you know, we've added two words here. And we've added the words input, and we've added the word output. Why don't you go ahead and write those on your circles there, on your notes, so you'll have that as we talk about this for just a little bit. Input and output. So as Frank Lake and Emil Bruner studied the life of Jesus Christ, they noticed that he had a balance. Listen to the word. Balance. He had a balance in his life between input and output. Is anybody longing for this? Anybody realizing that you're out of balance right now? A balance between input and output. A balance between receiving and giving. Receiving and giving. How many of you feel guilty when you receive something from someone else? Many of us? Many of us? Jesus didn't feel guilty when he received. It's part of the balance, part of the cycle of grace. He had a balance between what he took in and then what he put out. So let me just ask a question, just to kind of help us understand this. Which do you think is most important to your survival? Breathing in or breathing out? Which is more important to your survival? Breathing in or breathing out? 
So the answer is, just so you know, just I don't want you to be going out here and saying he didn't answer this question. Listen, the answer is the opposite of what you did last. Okay? It's the opposite of what you did last. So if I breathe in, then the most healthy thing for me to do is to breathe out, right? That's key to my survival. If I breathe in and never take another breath, I'm going to pass out on this stage. If I'm just continually breathing out, hyperventilating, I'm going to pass out and fall out on the stage. I've got to have a rhythm, a balance of breathing in and breathing out. It's true in our lives, too. We will never live the significant, a sustained, significant, fruitful life if we try to live it out of balance. We have to create a rhythm of life where we have a balance of input and output or, folks, we're not going to last. We're not going to last. And people look at Christianity many times and say, well, golly, look at those guys. They don't last. They don't make it. But we want to be a positive testimony for Jesus Christ. We want to last. So let's just ask. Let's just do some heart search here. What's the level of input and output like in your life? Just think about your life. What's the level of input, the things I'm bringing in that sustain me, that fill me, that strengthen me? What's, how's the balance between my input and my output? And we just need to know the two things here. One, I, I have to have a balance of both. So today, I'm not saying this is all about input. Because if I'm just having input, I'm still going to keel over. It also is about output but it has to be balanced. And so what I'm calling us to is a cycle of grace that's a balanced way of living life. If we don't live a life of balance, we will end up with damaged or broken souls. We will be broken individuals. We will have broken marriages, broken families, broken businesses, and broken churches. We don't do this. So in, in Lake and Bruner's research, they discovered that Jesus had two sources of input. And see, those are in the red right there. Two sources of ways that he took in, and it was through acceptance and sustenance. And he had two sources of output, significance and achievement. And what we're going to do over the rest of today and then next week is we're going to talk about how he lived in this cycle of grace, what Jesus did. And guys, you know what? You look at Jesus sometimes and you think, oh my, I could never do what Jesus did. I'm just telling you, this is something we can all do. This came out of Jesus' humanity. 100% human. And he shows us how we can live a life, the fruitful life that he's called us to live. So just in this few minutes, I want to talk about the first two. Just the first two for just two minutes. And um, these are the ways in which grace is brought into my life. So this is the way grace comes into me, and it was the way grace came into Jesus. And so the first way that grace flows into our lives is when we rest in God's accepting grace. This is the opposite of striving for achievement. I'm resting in God's acceptance grace, accepting grace. They called it acceptance. I'm saying accepting grace. It's all about identity. It's all about the need we all have to be accepted. Everyone has to be affirmed, to be embraced, to be prized, to be valued, and be loved. For Jesus, acceptance came before 
anything else that he did. Acceptance came before. It came before ministry, and it came before mission. He had to understand and know that he was accepted by his father. And then what Jesus did is he lived out a life of profound acceptance. According to these two guys, Lake and Bruner, Jesus' public ministry and mission began on a day when he walked down to the Jordan River and saw John the baptizer baptizing. And he came to John and said, I need to be baptized. John says, I need to be baptizing you. He knew who he was. And Jesus said, no, I need to be baptized. So Jesus, in being baptized, he identified with all the ragamuffins, all, who, all of us who were there that day. He identified with everyone, and he was baptized. And then this is what he says. I'll put this on your notes. He says, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. God the Father looked down at his son before he began his public ministry, before he began his public mission. And he looked at him and said, because you are my son, I have great joy in my heart and I love you as my beloved. That's how the father saw the son. So Jesus, this is in his humanity, folks. Jesus, in his humanity, he identifies as someone then who is accepted by God. And now, as you know, if you read your Bibles much, you understand, if you go to Luke, what you see is that after this moment, he was led into the wilderness through the temptation, and then Jesus began his public ministry and his mission after he received God's acceptance and affirmation. Now he's ready to move into the mission he was sent to do. Now there's a similar scene uh, that's in Matthew 17 where Jesus went up on the mount with three of his disciples, and we call it the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus was transfigured, and we had uh, Elijah and Moses there. And then uh, there's a moment where the clouds part again, and then God says again, this is my, this, he says these words, he says, this is my dearly loved son, he says the same words, who brings me great joy. And he says, listen to him. And once again, Jesus now had done ministry, Jesus now had done mission, but Jesus was getting ready to do the final act, and that was to go to the cross. And the Father was once again strengthening him for that moment. You are accepted by me. You're affirmed by me in this mission. I'm with you as you go to the cross. So what Lake, who was a psychiatrist, remember, and Bruner, a theologian, they wanted people to understand that all ministry, all ministry begins with a deep knowledge of our acceptance in God by Jesus, through Jesus Christ. This is the primary entrance of grace into our lives. The primary way that input comes. And folks, so if you've said yes to Jesus Christ, if you've said yes to Jesus Christ, the Bible says that at that moment you are now accepted by God. You are now God's friend, the Bible says. You are now his daughter or his son. You were a child of the Most High God. You have become his beloved. Paul's writing about this in Colossians, and he says this, talking to those who've said yes to Jesus. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. He's talking to those who've said yes to Jesus, chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now, folks, I don't know if this hits you like it hits me. 
for me, for me, fully embracing God's love and acceptance has been my lifelong journey. I got off track. I had addictions. I've had struggles. There's been highs. There have been lows. But it's my lifelong journey is to know that I'm accepted and that no matter what I do, because I've said yes to Jesus Christ, that God looks at me and he says, you, Ron Thompson, are my beloved. And he would say the same to you. You are my beloved. Think about how that sets us free. To know that we're accepted by God because God chose us. And then God calls us then beloved, the ones I love. And we don't have to do anything to accept or to earn that favor. That's his acceptance given to us because of grace. And when I'm the most aware personally of God's acceptance of me, it's then that I'm the most fully alive. Most fully alive. I'm the most joyful. Jesus entered in to and lived out of his belovedness, and grace flowed to everyone that he came in contact with because of his understanding of his acceptance and belovedness by his Father. When we say yes to Jesus Christ, we're grounded in the reality that we're loved and accepted. On February 25th, as Mark said just a while ago, we get to have baptisms in here. Except February 25th, there are going to be several people, not even sure how many, who will be coming. We have a tub we set up right over here, and they're going to be immersed in what we would call the waters of baptism. See, they're saying yes. These are people who've said yes to Jesus' offer of forgiveness and freedom and redemption and the promise of a future in heaven. So they've said yes to Jesus for those things. And they will be affirming when they're baptized. They will be affirming that they are loved and accepted and redeemed and forgiven through no merit or effort of their own. No merit or effort of their own. It's solely through the grace of God alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Fully that is what it is. See, when we have baptisms here, it's a celebration of God's unconditional love when we get to witness baptisms. That's why we hoot and holler. That's why we have such a good time when we get to have baptisms together. Baptism is when a person goes public for Jesus. And as they're going public for Jesus, they declare that they've said yes to Jesus and that they're saying yes to this new identity in him, that I am the accepted one, I am the beloved of God. God loves me unconditionally. In baptism, in baptism, I am publicly agreeing with Jesus Christ that I am God's accepted. When a person is baptized, it's a physical illustration, physical illustration of a spiritual reality. So as you go down into the water, you go down into the water, you're immersed in the reality of God's unconditional love. You're immersed in that. If you've been baptized, reflect on that a moment. Did you look at it that way, or can you look at it today and think about the moment you were put underwater, that you're immersed in God's unconditional love and grace as his beloved? 
if you've never been baptized, I just want to encourage you. You will never, ever regret it. Never, ever. As his beloved, you step into the waters of acceptance and you're washed in his grace. Now, just get me be real clear here. It's not what you, you're not earning anything by this. You're experiencing something. You're experiencing this love at a level where you get to physically have something happen to you where you're released and you're reminded of God's unconditional love for you. And I just want to give you this thought. When you're baptized, and a person pulls you up out of the water, it might be that there's a voice in heaven crying out at that moment. This is my child in whom I love, and I am well pleased. This happens in the spiritual realm when you do that. So that's the first thing, is I live in this acceptance and live in this identity. The second thing is this, real quickly as I walk through this. I pursue God's sustaining grace. I pursue God's sustaining grace. Now, Lake and Bruner called it sustenance. And uh, Jesus not only lived in the accepting grace of God, but he lived in the sustaining grace of God. So sustenance, you know, right? It's eat, you know, talk about eating food, right? It's when I take in what I need to live. It's when I take in the calories I'm going to need in order to have the energy I need in order to live life. It's when I consume that which is going to sustain me. Without proper sustenance, and I'm no biology teacher here, but without proper sustenance, I'm going to end up malnourished and weak and can even die. So as they looked at the life of Jesus, they realized how many times Jesus took time out to nourish his soul, to nourish his soul and replenish himself. How many times he did that? He was not a self-sustaining being, 100% human. We're talking about the human side of him. He was not a self-sustaining being. He had to take time to receive input. There had to be input into his life. And I'll just say this. If Jesus needed this aspect of the cycle of grace as much as he did, imagine how much we need it. Imagine how much we need it as well. It's, just, it's not just enough, folks, to know we're accepted by God and then think that just because I'm accepted by God, I'm going to have the strength and energy then to live out the life he's called me to live. I have to be sustained by him. There's just one verse that talks about his pattern. It says this, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. So one thing, another book I've talked about in this series, I highly recommend, it's called The Habits of Grace. And we've talked about this several times. Um, we, you, you buy it every time we talk about it. There's more in the bookstore today. And so Habits of Grace, and this book talks about uh, the, it helps me a lot, really, because I can get stuck in di the word discipline I have spiritual disciplines, and before long, they twist in my mind to become spiritual duties, and they become what I'm doing to earn, and then I'm checking boxes, and then the longer I check boxes, the more I lead toward fatigue and burnout until I'm not doing anything. Anybody else do that? That's exactly, and this, he comes at it from a different way. He says, I want to give you another perspective that habits of grace are means of grace, is their invitations to walk with God in grace. And he says this. He says, the means of grace are God's promised channels of continuing grace received by faith. Infinite grace is behind us, and infinite grace lies ahead. 
And through his appointed means of grace, God is pleased to supply ongoing life and energy and health and strength to our souls. The means of grace fill our tank, fill our tank for the pursuit of joy, for the good of others, and for the glory of God. They are channels through which God gives us spiritual food for our survival, growth, and flourishing in the mission. Now, I'm going to come back and talk about this a little bit next week, but let me just give you three means of grace that he talks about in this book, because you've got three lines there, and if I don't give them to you, you're going to ask me in the lobby anyway. Okay? So here we go. The first is the Bible. The Bible. And so this is hearing from God. Just know, hearing from God. The Bible. I hear the Bible. I hear God speak, and so I come to him, and I read it. I meditate on it. I memorize it. I bring it in. So bring it in through hearing. Second is prayer. Prayer. And this is conversing with God. So the first was hearing from God. Now conversing with God. And so conversing has two elements. Just like the cycle of grace did. You have input and output. Conversing has two elements. Some of you are really good at one and not the other. Two elements. One is listening. Do you know that in the Old Testament that God says to his people over 1,500 times, you don't listen to me. You don't listen to me. And the second is through talking, or I talk to him. So I listen to him, and I talk to him. And the third is through community. It's connecting with God's people through fellowship and worship and mission. And these are means of grace that can sustain us and draw us closer to God and realizing and reestablishing, renewing uh, the fact that we are caught up in being accepted by him. We are his beloved. So I'm going to ask us to bow our heads and let's pray for a moment. And I just want to begin this prayer time by asking this question. How many of you are standing firm in your acceptance by God? How many of you are 100% sure today of your belovedness? If you aren't, I want to invite you right now to say yes to Jesus Christ with me. You say yes to Jesus Christ. You acknowledge, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you came to earth to live, to die on a cross for me as a sacrifice to be resurrected so that I could have relationship with our Heavenly Father. And Jesus, first of all, I just need to tell you, I've sinned. I've blown it. There have been so many times when I've done the opposite of what I know you would say. And I ask you to forgive me. I Just forgive me of those sins, Jesus, through what you did on the cross. And Jesus, I ask you to restore me. I ask you to renew me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to bring me to wholeness. I ask you now, Jesus, that you would help me to accept a new label as the beloved of God. Accepted by him. Jesus, help me to learn more and more what it's like to live in that way. And Father, I pray that each one of us would, today would just celebrate that, that we can be accepted, 
I pray for those who are now going to be baptized because they realize the value, the wonder of baptism. It's not a regulation. It's not a duty. It's an experience with God. Or as I'm immersed into the waters, I'm immersed into his acceptance and his unconditional love. I just want to stay there personally. And I just pray that they'd move forward and be willing to take that step. God, I pray for all of us now that we'd be thinking about the ways that we can have sustenance in our lives in the spiritual world. And that you'd bring us back next week. We'd say, I've got to be back next week. Nothing can keep me from next week. Not only am I going to hear the rest of this, but I'm going to get to have communion as we celebrate the love of Jesus. And we thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.